You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Finding Hope, How to Experience Christ as Never Before. In our Advent series, we looked at key texts where God revealed Himself to humanity. In this Epiphany series, we discover how Christians today continue to see and know Christ, the source of all joy, peace, and flourishing. We'll learn how to see Him in His Word, in each other, and in culture. Hey, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. You can have a seat, Michael. He's in the front. Anyway, hey, uh, it's really good to be with you this morning. Um, this has been a really hard week. Uh, we're on the line only this week uh, because we've had uh, some COVID scare here and some exposure. Um, several people have gotten sick. Um, so that was hard. That, was, that started out our Monday. And then... Uh, we all had a rough Wednesday, seeing everything that happened in Washington. Um, that was hard. Uh, and it's been a hard year. We feel, uh, it feels like somebody should have pressed a pause button and said, okay, we've got enough hard things going on in the world. Um, everybody else gets a break. And, uh, and yet there's still hardship. Um, still babies being sick. Uh, there's still relationships that are broken, marriages that are falling apart, um, suicide, kids hurting themselves. Um, It's just a really hard time to be a human. Um, And so we come to church this morning asking kind of, Jesus, where are you? Uh, And that's a good question to ask. And we've been asking it for the past three weeks. We've said, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? And we've said, all right, we can find, find Jesus in, in two places so far. We said we can find him in the scriptures, which is the primary place that we find Jesus. If you want to experience Jesus, you look in the Bible. That's where we know where truth is. That's where Jesus is. And then we said, Pastor Bobby said last week, we can find Jesus in the church. We can find Jesus in one another. His Holy Spirit lives in us. And so anywhere that we go, we take the presence of Christ with us. And so when I'm with you, you're with me. You know, where two or three are gathered, there Jesus says he is. So we have the presence of Christ in the scriptures. We have the presence of Christ among us as the church. And then you can experience Jesus, here's the third place, in culture. And if you're like me, you're like, are you kidding? In culture? Like, have you seen the news? There's no way you can experience Jesus in culture. Uh, But it's true. And... And I'm not sure about you guys, uh, but growing up, the idea of experiencing Jesus in culture would have been laughable. It would have been like, it, it would have been backwards. There is just absolutely no way you can experience Jesus in culture. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how we can experience Jesus in culture. And we're going to look at Acts 17, what Glenda just read. That's the how. But before we can even get to how, we have to ask, is it possible and is it even biblical? And so that's what we're going to start with. So, again, just kind of coming back to how I grew up. If I had said we're going to experience Jesus in culture, people would have been like, absolutely not. Right? We, culture is evil. It's awful. Anything that's secular, we cannot participate in. We cannot enjoy. We can't even look at. And so Christians 
have been pulling away from culture for a long, long time. And it just, you, we created our own, right? We started to have our own cartoons. You know, we made VeggieTales. Uh, we had our own uh, Christian music. I'm not sure if you guys had it growing up, but I had this poster in our church that was like, if you like this secular band, you'll like this Christian band. And it was a way that we could just pull further away from culture. And then there was other things kind of like, I mean, we had Thomas Kincaid. We had our own painter. Like we had to have a Bible verse on it. That was, there was no way that you could enjoy secular culture, right? But this, this kind of thinking that culture is evil and church is good, it creates what's called a false dichotomy, which is essentially it's a wrong either or. It's like saying the thing is either red or green. And it's like, what about purple and black and blue and brown? Like, nope, it's black or, or it's red or green. And so that's a false dichotomy. So we have a slide, or at least I believe we have a slide. Put it up there for you. What we did is we said we have secular and evil on one side and sacred or churchy and righteous on the other side. So if it was from the secular world or from culture, it was automatically evil just by being secular. And if it was from the church, it was automatically righteous, right? And so this is the false dichotomy, the two either ors that's not true right? The problem with this, right, is that it actually would keep you from following what Jesus said to do, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And if your neighbor is in the world, right, that means he's secular and evil. It means you can't love him, right? Because, and this is the kind of verse that people would quote to back this idea up. They would look at 1 John 2.15 and they would say, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But as I was just saying, that that's not true. That it can't work like that. And so we actually have a slide that I'm going to put up there. Uh, hopefully, this is a better way of thinking about how things, it's more like a graph where you can see on one side is secular, one side is sacred, but then on the y-axis, right, you've got evil and righteous. So you can have something that is secular and evil. That is always possible and something that's righteous and sacred but you can also have something that's secular and righteous and something that's evil and sacred. And we know this to be true. We've experienced this, right? Just because you have a pastor who works for a church does not mean he is an automatically good person. A pastor can do evil things. Somebody at church, like evil things happen at churches. At the same time, we can experience good, beautiful, true things that happen from the secular world, whether that's science, whether that's poetry, whether that's art, there are true, good, and beautiful things that come from secular culture. So philosophically and logically, it is possible to experience good and true and beautiful things in culture. The question is whether it's biblical. And it absolutely is, because here's here's one thing that we understand from the Bible, and Jesus said, and we heard Pastor Jeremy, or... uh, say this earlier, he said, I, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is saying he is truth. Anything that is truth is from him. And this is why Christians have said this phrase for the longest time. They'll say something like, um, the, if, if you find truth, you find God, or all truth is God's truth. Now, here's where people have pushed back on this idea, is the The idea of all truth is God's truth is not a Bible verse, but it is a biblical idea because you see Jesus claiming to be truth. And there is one truth. So if you see truth out in the wild, 
you should be able to look at that and say, that's truth. That is something that reminds me of Jesus. And you know it's truth because it's from the Bible. So the Bible would point to that thing and say, that is a good, true thing. Now, again, some people will push back against that idea and they'll say, what about, um, they'll say, what about if, you're, if you're looking at this idea and saying you can see truth in culture, you're rejecting the idea of sola scripture. All right, now let's back up. Sola scripture just says, the scripture is the source of truth, right? But to find truth in culture is, to, is not saying that the Bible is not the sole source of truth. It's just saying you see the Bible reflected in culture. And if you know the idea of sola scripture, you know the guy who came, kind of came up and made this idea popular is a guy named John Calvin. And here's what he says about this idea. He says, therefore, in reading the profane authors, the admirable light of truth displayed in them should remind us that the human mind, however much fallen and perverted from its original integrity, is still adorned and invested with admirable gifts from its creator. If we reflect that the spirit of God is the only fountain of truth, we will be careful, as we would avoid offering insult to him, not to reject or condemn the truth wherever it appears." That's a long, fancy quote, essentially to say that wherever truth is, Christians should affirm it. So if you see truth and you reject it, you're rejecting God. And we get this idea from the Bible where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So hopefully by this point, you've seen not only is it philosophically possible to have a way that we see truth and Jesus reflected in culture, it's biblical, When Jesus claims to be truth, we can then say any truth is God's truth. And so if we see it in culture, we can say, aha, there's Jesus. And so the question is, well, how do we actually do that? It's fine and dandy to talk about it in the abstract, but how do we put wheels on that? And this is where we actually see this truth played out in Acts 17. We see Paul do this very thing. And so I'm gonna come back and read this beginning portion again. Right, it says, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. Okay, so now I need to back up. I gotta make sure we're all on the same page. So this, how we're going to do this, right? How are we going to see Christ in culture is we're going to receive culture And then sometimes we're going to reject culture. And then most often we're going to redeem culture. And so this is what Paul is doing here. And this is the first thing that he does is he receives. So notice what he does is he comes in and he addresses this council and he receives the true things that they've done. So let's back up even further and kind of take a look at what Paul is doing. He's in the city of Athens, which is in Greece, which is known as kind of the philosophical headquarters of the world. And so he's there. He actually got kicked out of a place called Berea because people were coming to hunt him down. So he goes north to this town called Athens. He's hanging out there and he's in the churches and he's preaching there. And uh, all of a sudden he decides to go get in some debates with some Stoic and Epicurean philosophers, which is just a fancy way of saying he got in a, a philosophy debate with these guys. And he started to win. And so these guys are like, all right, Mr. Big Shot, if you're you know, so hot and dandy and talking about all these crazy things like this king of the world who's going to come back from the dead, right? we're going to take you to the Aragopagus. That's a fun, fancy word to say, which again, it's like Ares Hill. So it's the, the hill of Ares 
Or it's Mars Hill, if you like Roman gods, and you're like, oh, Mars Hill, I've heard that before. This is where it comes from, right? Mars Hill. So they take him there to this council. And this council is here to kind of hear Paul out and figure out, are we gonna let you keep talking in our city? And if you're a student of history, you're kind of like, isn't this what they did with Socrates right before they killed him? And you're right. And so Paul is probably on guard here going, all right, I've got to present my case to, the, to this council to make sure, A, that they'll let me continue preaching in their city, and then B, that they don't kill me. And the first thing that he does is he comes out and he says, I can see some of what you're doing is true, right? Never a good idea to come to a hostile argument and say, you're all idiots, right? Bad idea, right? So he says, where's our common ground? So this is what he, he's receiving the truth of what they're doing. He's saying, hey, I see that you're religious. That's great, wonderful, you should be religious. And then he says, and I can see you have an altar to an unknown God. And you're right, there is a God that you have no idea about, and I'm gonna tell you about him. They're like, okay, so he's receiving culture, right? So how can we do that in our world? How can we receive culture? Well, let's think about this. What are some things in our culture that our culture says these things are good, true, and beautiful that we can say the Bible affirms that too, right? All right, well, what's like the biggest value that our culture has right now? The thing I think I see the most is freedom. I want to be free. Do not tell me what to do. I want to be able to do what I want to do. I want to have a personal responsibility to be my own person. I want my own freedom. And you know what we can say as Christians is, yeah, amen, right? Yes, you want that. So, hey, like the Bible affirms freedom. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. Great. All right. Now, again, some of you are going to be like, but wait, but what about? And yes, we'll get to the but what abouts. That's going to come. But for right now, let's just see what we can affirm that we see in culture. What can we receive from culture as true? All right. What's some other things? Uh, So we see that, um, I don't know, you may have heard, our culture is morally relative. There's just, there's, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Um, there's, there's no good or true things in culture. You just do what you want. However, I would say recently you have seen our culture is very moral, right? We have seen people saying, you know what? I think there are people who are hungry out there. We should feed them. Okay, sure, right? I see people that are out there that are sojourners and, um, and, and immigrants and we should house them, okay, right? People are sh- sick and we should help them. Uh, people are in prison, and so we should work on prison reform. Even if you disagree with how these people are going about this, they are seeing the things that Jesus said, where he said, if you saw me and you, I was hungry, and I was sick, and I was naked, and I was in prison, and you came and helped me, we can say, hey, culture is seeing those people, and they want to help him. And Jesus said, hey, if you see those people, you should go help them. And so we should be able to say, hey, maybe you're not going about it the way that I would go about it, but at least you're seeing the need and wanting to help. I can affirm that. Yeah, you know, like Jesus is pro-least of these. You're pro-least of these. Yes and amen. Sweet. All right, what else do we have that we can agree on? Justice, right? The Bible is pro-justice. Treat everyone fairly and equally, right? And again, this is where it gets tricky and I know everybody's gonna be like, but what about, what about, what about people who are pro-justice but anti-life? Okay, yeah, that's, we're gonna get there. But for now, let's just affirm People say, I want justice. We can say, yes, amen. Justice is a good thing. Let's receive those things, right? And so if we we look at our culture, it seems like there's a lot that we could say, that's good. 
we, can, we have common ground. I affirm that, right? And so we can receive those things, right? Without having to argue, without having to say, yes, but no, we can just say, yeah, I, I can see that you love justice. I can see that you love the least of these. I can see that you want freedom. The Bible is about that. And so I can affirm that. And in affirming that, we see Jesus there. We see the truth, right? However, we can't receive everything, right? Because culture is man-made and man is sinful. And so we have to then at some point say, there's certain things in culture that I'm going to have to reject. Like I, can, I can't receive any of it. I just have to say, that's not true, right? And so here's what Paul does. Paul does the same thing. He says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. So here's what Paul's saying, right? He's like, you're right. There is a God that you don't know anything about that you worship. I'm telling you about him. However, you're wrong to say that he lives in temples. Like, do you, and he, what he says is like, do you realize like God made everything? Not only did he make everything, he made the nations. So if he made everything and he drew the outlines of the nations, he's not gonna live in a temple that you make him. I reject that. That is not true, right? And we do the same thing, right? So we look at culture and we say, all right, what are some things that we see in culture that we just say, that is not true. Well, very simply, some, some of the things that it's like, what's true for me is true for me. What's true for you is true for you. It's like, no, that is not a biblical statement. That's, we've been saying this whole morning. Jesus says he is truth. If it's against Jesus, it's not true. So that statement saying, I can decide what's true is not, that's not true, right? We have to reject that, right? Or here's another thing that is often said is like, I can do whatever I want. I have freedom to do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anybody. Again, not true, right? Jesus says, not only is there, there's a right and a wrong way to live that not only involves whether you harm somebody or not, but also whether you love people or not and whether you love God or not. So we have this idea of I can do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anybody. That is not true. We reject that idea, right? And then here's the other thing that I think we see this a lot in culture is people are saying there are people who are beyond redemption, they are unforgivable. They cannot be redeemed. If you are part of this group or if you've done this thing, you cannot be redeemed. That's not true. The Bible says anyone can be redeemed. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say if you're a good enough person because if it required any of us to be good enough, nobody would be able to be saved. So we say very clearly when the culture says there are people who are beyond redemption, we say, nope, not true right? And here's the thing. To be honest, we've been really good at this as Christians for a long time of rejecting things. Uh, it's kind of our bread and butter. Uh, we're real good at saying that's bad. And so we keep it out. Um, we're less good at the affirming things, at the receiving things. And so I don't want to get so much into the details of rejection as, as much as like, how do we actually do it? Um, because I think if you noticed throughout culture, Christians are not known as gracious and kind people. Like that's not our, um, that's not our reputation. We're known as harsh and sometimes simple-minded. 
which I think is kind of ironic because Jesus told us that we were supposed to be as wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And it's like, we flipped it. We've become as wise as doves and gentle as serpents. We're mean and simplistic. So we start doing this thing where we start rejecting things and telling people like, you know, if you believe that you're going to hell or how could anybody call themselves a Christian and believe that? And we reduce things to very simple ideas. We create those false dichotomies. And the problem with that is, is it's rejecting in a way that Paul doesn't reject. You see, what Paul does is he rejects, but with invitation, not condemnation. He says, hey, you're wrong, but I have something better that you can be a part of, right? What we seem to do is is like, you're wrong, so stay out, right? And the idea says, you're wrong, but come in. So if that's what Paul is doing, he's saying, all right, I can affirm some things, I can receive them right? And I have to reject some things, right? So he said, I can receive the truth and I have to reject the lies. But what happens when truth and lies are intermixed? That's the really hard thing. And in our world, that's what happens the most often, right? It's what Satan does is he mixes a little bit of lie with some truth and it seems really good. And we have to figure out how to deal with those things. And, and what we usually do, though, again, the Christian's response has been like, if I see a lie is in there at all, I reject all of it. The whole thing's gone right? And we say, I see they want justice, but they want this other stuff. So there's the whole thing, right? And instead we should have this idea of redemption where we can say, I can see some truth in here. So I'm going to pull that out. I'm going to hang on to this truth and I'm going to reject the lies, right? We have to be wise enough to be able to do this. And it's what Paul does here. And I'm going to say what Paul does here is a little offensive to Christians today. And so we're going to read this. So what he does is when he takes that truth and separates it from the lies, that's called redemption. He redeems the truth, right? He redeems culture. Here's what he does. He says, for his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he's not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen as gold or silver or stone. All right, this is where it gets a little crazy. So we all love this quote, in him we live and move and have our being. Paul did not come up with that. He's quoting a guy named Epimenides. And Epimenides lived in 600 BC and he worshiped Zeus. And when he died, they worshiped him as a God. And so Paul is taking this guy's work when he says, in him we live and move and exist, he's saying, you said that about Zeus, I'm taking that, and I'm saying, that's true about Jesus, right? This would be like me taking something from the Quran and saying, you've said that about Allah, but what I'm saying is that's true about Jesus, right? And that freaks people out, right? Because you're like, I, we can't know. If we affirm any part of that, it's the slippery slope to affirming the whole thing. So we just have to reject all of it. And that's what Calvin is saying. And that's what Paul did right here is he's saying, actually, I can pull the truth out of that and hang on to it. I can, I can affirm this, but I have to get rid of the lies, right? I get rid of the lies, but I can affirm this truth. I can quote one of your own prophets and say, yeah, you know, he might not be a Christian, but he had something right, right? And so, Let's go back to those topics that we talked about earlier about the ones that we can affirm, right? Freedom, the freedom I can do whatever I want, right? So we reject that, but freedom is a good thing. 
right? So Christians rightly reject the idea of abortion, right? We reject that idea. It's like, you are free to do what you want. You're not free to harm somebody else. And the truth is, a baby is alive. It says in the Bible, at the moment of conception, that's that's a life. You knew me in my mother's womb. So Christians reject that idea, right? But it doesn't mean we say freedom is bad. We don't say personal responsibility is bad, you know? So we were able to, at one point, say, no, you are personally responsible. You are free to make your choices, right? But you have to live, you have to use that freedom to follow God, right? What else, right? Caring and providing for the poor. Culture says that's a good thing. Christians say that's a good thing. But we don't care and provide to the point where we enable people. We don't want to enable people to say, you know what, you're poor, just keep being poor. We'll take care of it. No, because A, that, that's not affirming them as a person, right? You're saying you're not worth caring about and, and giving you the, the dignity of working, right? At the same time, we don't say you have to work and make sure that you do all these other things to make sure that I will then help you out. You have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and then I'll help, right? We have to be able to say at one point is I'm going to help you when you don't deserve it because nobody deserves it. At the same time, we have to be able to say, I'm not gonna enable you to keep living in such an awful way where you don't wanna work, right? So it's a both and thing. So this is a redemption, right? Where, was, where are some of the other, other things, right? Uh, biblical justice, right? We want justice, but we don't want a justice that just brings condemnation, Right? That's not the kind of justice we see in the Bible. The kind of justice we see in the Bible is that brings reconciliation. So any sort of justice that's like, you're bad, you're awful, you're condemned, and that's over, like, that's no good. We have to have a justice that says, you're wrong, but let's be together. Right? That's the kind of justice that we're seeking. That's biblical justice. And so that's the redemption. That's happening. Right? So let's, let's recap this whole thing right? We want to see Jesus. We want to experience Jesus. And Jesus says he's the truth. So if we want to see Jesus at work in culture, right? We have to receive culture. We have to affirm it, right? When it's true. We have to reject culture when it's lying to us, when there are lies there. And then we have to most often redeem the truth from the lies. We have to redeem culture. And we can do this all the time, right? You think about it. Think about how many things we can redeem in culture. So you have something where the, uh, the scientist has his science and he says, you see, the universe had a beginning, right? And so that proves God exi- doesn't exist. And what the Christian can look at is, no, like, you're right, the universe had a beginning. We've been saying that since the beginning. That's our genesis. We've been, you've been saying that matter and energy exists forever. And now you're coming to the point of saying, no, there was actually a start. And that's what Christians have been saying the whole time. We redeem that, right? Yes, the universe had a beginning. It seems like that's what the Bible says, right? Or the, uh, let's, somebody makes a movie and the movie is life is meaningless and purposeless. A Christian can look at that and say, yes, amen. Life is meaningless and purposeless. Purple, purple doesn't have any purpose apart from Jesus, right? Thanks be to God. He sent Jesus to rescue us from that meaninglessness, right? You can have the politician who says, you know what the problem is, is we just need the right guy in leadership. 
We just need the right ruler. And you know what? Yes and amen. We do need the right ruler. His name is Jesus and it will be an absolute monarchy and it will be perfect, right? So we can see all those things that culture is putting towards us that we can say, we can redeem that, all right? So here's, here's how I want you to play this out relationally this week. Here's your Monday challenge. I want you to go to a news website of somebody who you probably are gonna disagree with probably find something that you think is wrong and abhorrent. And I want you to find a truth that you can redeem. I want you to find something in culture out there, something that you might disagree with that you can say, well, they might be wrong about everything else, but at least they have this right. And the reason I want us to do this is not only so that we can experience and practice redeeming culture, right? We want to see Jesus at work there because here's the other thing that's happened is we've started separating people by saying, you're, again, you're either with me or you're against me. But if we can see Jesus at work and the people who are different than us, that helps us love our enemies. Because what's happened is we've been able to say, no, I'm gonna reject all of your thing, all the things that you have to say, and so I'm gonna treat you like an enemy. But here's the thing, what are we supposed to do with our enemies? Love them. And if we can't see Jesus in them, we can't love them. So we have to be able to say, all right, I wanna see Jesus in you. I wanna see the image of God at play in you. I, his truth is gonna be coming out of you, whether you like it or not. How, where can I find it? And then let's agree on that. And then let me help you. That will help me love you. So again, this idea of receive, reject, redeem, it can get really heady. But if we can put these things into practice, it will actually help us love our neighbors. And the other reason that we do this is because this is what God did with us right? God, God redeemed us. He said, you are made in my image. You are good and you are true and you are beautiful, but you are corrupted by sin. And so here's what I'm going to do. You can't separate yourself from that sin, but I can. God says, I will separate your sin as far as the East is from the West. You can't do that, but I can, and I will redeem you. I will make you new. And we, like our call is to follow God and to do what he does. And so to redeem culture, is to do what God did with us, is to redeem us. And we celebrate that kind of redemption, that thing that said, we are too far away from God. God couldn't have anything to do with us. And yet he took our sins on him to deal with them. And we celebrate that every week with communion. We celebrate that Jesus broke his body for us and he shed his blood for us so that we could have redemption. And so we remind ourselves that with this passage. It says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and the pieces. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink of it. We're not here this morning. We can't gather together and do this like we normally would, but hopefully if you're at home, you've got something good around you, whether that's coffee, whether that's uh, a bagel, some toast, some cereal. Uh, and I invite you to see even those simple things as the good, true, and beautiful things from culture that God has given us and to use those things to participate in communion this morning um, and to remember uh, Christ's body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you so that you could be redeemed and that you could be an agent of God's redemption in this world uh, by his spirit working through you 
and by bringing the truth of scriptures to the world. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.